0: This weekly broadcast is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center. These podcasts will be a series of in-depth studies of various books of the Bible. This study will be of the book of Leviticus. Our teacher, Alex Del Percio, has been involved in training ministers of the gospel since 1987 and teaches in Cornerstone Bible Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you subscribe to this podcast, send us an email at in-depthbibleteaching at yahoo.com. And now here's our teacher, Alex. God called to Noah and told him to enter into the ark. Now, God calls to us and tells us to enter into Christ, who is a type of the ark. So you see this typology throughout the Bible, and it's very, very strong in the book of Leviticus, where there is this typology that's brought out, And all these different things that are written and and hidden there point to Christ, show this typology that is directly related to Christ. And I believe that God lays things in the Old Testament and he hides them there. The truth of the gospel that we see in the New Testament related to Jesus Christ is hidden there. Now, it's not just, as I've said before... We're not dealing with stories. Uh, we're not dealing with just some ritualistic thing. Even though this was, in a way, for the, the people, uh, there were certain rituals that they had to, to, to you know, do. But God had something else in mind. That which he has laid there, he laid there for them for a reason. There was an approach to God that he laid out. There were things that they had to do uh, in the natural that would point them in the direction of God, would point their hearts uh, in in the direction of Him. And so it is today, we come to church, we read the Bible, we pray, and, and all these different things, you know, they can become tradition and ritual just the same as these things in Leviticus. But... There is the Spirit of God who will quicken us and and point us toward the heart of God and move us in that direction as as we move toward what we know we ought to do. Now, Leviticus is very, very interesting because uh, how many here have ever read the book of Leviticus? Quite a few. Uh, When I was a young Christian, I started in the book of John. I decided I was going to go in the Old Testament and read, so I started with Genesis, Exodus. When I hit Leviticus, it was almost like I got stuck in the mud. And I thought, what does this have to do at all with today? And I heard just recently this, uh, if you will, story about this woman who decided she, she was a young Christian. She decided she wanted to read the Bible through. And she started with Genesis and Exodus. And when she got to Leviticus, she couldn't get through the book. So a period of time went by. She started again. She went read Genesis and Exodus again. And she got to Leviticus, and she couldn't get through the book. And she thought, there's just something in this book. It's just very dry, dull reading. Now, that is the way the scriptures are unless the spirit of God comes and quickens our heart and shows us what's in the word. Not show us so that we have some uh, understanding in our head, because that's really useless. God has put these things in this book to touch the heart of man. And whenever we go and start to look at Leviticus, we're going to see, hopefully, that God has certain things hidden there. And if you are open to the Spirit of God, he will use those things to touch your heart and to teach you and point you toward the heart of God. Now, this class here is just basically an overview of the book. And uh, I felt to do that because many people don't have a clue when it comes to this book, what's going on. And some, uh, who has read the book of Leviticus recently? No one. Who has read the book of Leviticus within the last five years? A few people. Well, there's quite a bit here, and I don't know. Next week, we're going to start with the first offering, the burnt offering. And I'm always, I don't know, the Lord has uh, given me this view. When I teach, I like to go into all this detail. And I don't know how much I'll be able to do in Sunday school, but I know one thing. I'm not going to rush these classes. And however long it takes to get through what I need to get through is what I'm going to do. So let's just start with this. Um, first of all, I talked about the types. The typology in the book represents Christ and the redemptive work of Christ. You will see this throughout the book. Tremendous things. Now, there's, there's two uh, main themes in the book, but before we go there, um, the contents of the book were written between the time that they came. So this is like a two-year period after they came out of Egypt. And then now they're at the mount. And at the mount, there's a two-month period where, they, where Moses receives this instruction. Now, when they come to the mount, the, the, the tabernacle is built... And now there's this two-month period where God is going to show them what he wants them to do. And some of the things he's going to ask them to do, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but are really, really something, and I want to really bring that out later, what God asked them to do on a personal level if they wanted their sins covered. See, we look at it, oh, it's very easy. We can come up here. And, you know, we just say, okay, God, forgive me. Or we're at home and we sin and we say, God, forgive me. And yes, he does. But there are certain things that must take place in order for us to get right with God. And he lays these things out in the book of Exodus. Now, there are two main themes and that is atonement and holiness. Atonement will be from chapter 1, I think it's through chapter 17. From chapter 18 on to the end of the book, it deals with holiness. Now, I've taught Leviticus before, and I've never got through the first 18 chapters, and i basically dealt with the atonement. And I'm thinking possibly that this class here will be Leviticus 1, and, and maybe later I'll do another class on the second part of the book. But anyway, atonement, who knows what atonement means? I'm sure some of you do. Yes? Isn't that the act of the uh, crucifixion that right with right God? Um, in a way, but no. The, word, the Old Testament word, atonement, means to cover. Now, you can take a Strong's, uh Brown driver's Briggs lexicon, Vine's expository dictionary, and, and all three of those will agree with that definition that it means to cover. Now, because of the holy nature of God, atonement was necessary for the people To have access to God, He is going to lay the way out and say, if you want to come to me, this is the way you must do it. Now, the word atonement is only used one time in the New Testament. Let's go there. It's uh, Romans, what is it? 5. Okay, Romans 5. Now, the word atonement in the Old Testament means to cover. It's translated by many different words, English words. For example, uh, purge, pardon, uh, purify, forgive, and atonement, that's in the Old Testament. It means to cover. There is no such thing as atonement in the New Testament. Jesus did not atone for your sins. I hear this occasionally. I heard it a couple weeks ago where the one minister was saying that Jesus atoned on the cross for our sins. Jesus did not atone for your sins. The word atonement means to cover. Jesus did away with. There's a big difference. And, and the word is used here in Romans, but it's, it's actually a very poor word uh, to translate what the Greek word is. In uh, Romans 5.11, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Does anyone have a marginal reading for that word, atonement, there? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. See, it doesn't mean to cover. Um, the word here in Romans means a restoration to divine favor or reconciliation. Now, in Hebrews, turn to Hebrews, somebody, real quick. Hebrews 10, read Hebrews 10, 4. And then we'll look at one verse in John real quick, or I'll quote it. Okay, someone read Hebrews 10.4. For it is not possible that of bulls and goats should take away sins. See, they, they cover sins, but they're not going to take them away. Uh, John the Baptist saw Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Um, and that word, that, that taketh away means he took it upon himself, and he carried it away. <laughs> I read that last night, and I said, Jesus took your sin and my sin, and he didn't cover it. But he took it upon himself, and he carried it away. Hallelujah. And there it is, out of the way, and God doesn't see it anymore not just covering it temporarily. It's gone as far as God's concerned. And that's exciting to me. Now, there are four areas in Leviticus that deal with atonement. I hope you don't mind me using the overhead here. Okay, the four areas dealing with atonement are the sacrifices, and that's from chapter 1 through chapter 7. And then you have the priestly intercession, that's from chapter 8 through chapter 10. Then you have the purification laws, that's chapter 11 through 15. And then in chapter 16, it deals with the the annual day of atonement. Now, to begin with, uh, the one area of atonement we're going to be looking at, starting next week, dealing with the sacrifices. Now, turn to Genesis To understand the sacrifices, I believe we need to um, go back to Genesis to really see the heart of God in in this thing. Uh, There was sin, as we know. Adam and Eve sinned. And there was broken fellowship with God. Then you have, in Revelation, that it says in, in Revelation 13, 8, that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So in one, one aspect here, you have Adam and Eve sinning, but before they even sinned, God had the remedy, and that was Jesus Christ slain before the foundation of the world. You know, this whole thing didn't take God by surprise. He was, he was already providing for man before man even knew it, as he does today with us. Um. God provided the first sacrifice. Turn to Genesis 3. Now remember, Adam and Eve sinned. We know that. And what happened after, after they sinned? It said that they saw their nakedness, and what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together. This was an act of man. This is what they thought to do. But God, he had something else in mind. And he moves in a way that that at first I believe that Adam and Eve didn't understand. But either he came and revealed that to them, explained that to them, or they understood in some way. And that's in Genesis um, 3.21. Unto Adam also And to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. Now, to make coats of skin, God had to kill an animal. There's no way to get the skin off of an animal and wear it unless the animal is dead. So the first sacrifice for sin here. Now, it's not. See, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they did not come to God. The Bible doesn't say that they came to God uh, to get that thing right. So the Lord takes this initiative, and he slays the animal so that they would not have to live with the, that guilt their entire life of this sin in hope that they would come to him in repentance later on. But he takes this animal, and I don't know however he did it, I don't know. He kills this animal, and he sheds the blood of the animal and provides the first covering or the, if you will the first atonement or the first sacrifice to cover Adam's sin because he's a holy God and he cannot look upon the sin and as we know in Romans it says the wages of sin is death the payment for sin is death so that when Adam and Eve sinned They had to pay with their lives. Really. They had to be killed. Their blood had to be shed. But rather than do that, God is going to take an animal and he's going to shed the blood of the animal. And he is going to atone life for life. The life of the animal for the life of Adam and Eve. He's taking the blood which contains the life, and he's shedding it on the ground. So that's the first uh, time in the scriptures we see this before Leviticus. And then you also see it um, when Abraham is taking Isaac up the mount to sacrifice him. And Isaac turns to his father and he says, Lord, where is the sacrifice? And he says, God will provide the sacrifice. Um, let me see. I think they have it in my notes here somewhere. Because I wanted to, wanted to quote that from the NIV. Oh, here, here's just how the NIV says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, we're still in Genesis 3. Now, look at this verse, verse 21. It says here that God, um, the Lord God made made coats. The word make there, I want you to see this. Um, The word make means to prepare or to make an offering. That's what the word means. And this word is used different places in the Old Testament. So God, when he made these coats for these skins for them, he was preparing or making the offering for them. Now, somehow or other, I said before that he communicated this to Adam and Eve because you see this same thing going on with their children. You see Cain and you see Abel. Cain brings an offering related to the fig leaves, an offering of the ground. But Abel, he brings a blood sacrifice, and that was what was accepted, mainly because of his heart. So in, in one instance, the, you know, the one son, he's moving along with the right path here to, to move toward God. And the other one, he's, he's coming his own way, And there's a verse in in Leviticus where, um, I I don't remember where it is, chapter 16 or 17, where it says that God tells Moses to make sure that when Aaron comes, that he does not come his own way. In other words, the way that God lays out is the way he needs to come. And and I think the, the, the verse is something like, that, he, that when he comes, that he should just not come any time, you know, to do the sacrifice. But as God lays the thing out, as God instructs, as he makes the way of approach to him. We don't approach God the way we think we should approach God. But as he has laid the foundation of that. We need to move in that and, and walk along with that. It's, it's not any different today than in Leviticus. They had to, to come to, um, into the holy, the, um, the outer court, and bring their sacrifice and do certain things. We we ask forgiveness for God, but many times, depending on what it is, we have to follow a certain path for things to be right with us. Now we're forgiven. But see, uh, the total restoration will come as we walk in the way of God, in in the approach that He lays out for us, whatever that may be. Now, um, God's provision is seen throughout this book. Look at Leviticus 5. The instructions that he gives the priests and the instructions he gives the uh, people were all based upon his provision, how he was going to provide for them. Now, we'll get into this later, but some of the people were to bring a bull you know, or a lamb, whatever, whatever was instructed for that type of offering. Well, what if you were poor? What if, you know, you only work one day a week and and you, you barely had enough money to provide for your family? Now, I'm kind of, of course, they weren't getting money. But let's say there were poor people. I'm sure there were a lot of them were poor, didn't have much. See, God provides the offering. All we need to do is be willing and to move along in the way he instructs. See, that's our part. He's not doing that. He's going to provide what we need, and then we are to to move along with him. Now, in Leviticus 5, verse 6, And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sins, which he hath sinned, a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of goats, for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. Now, this is what I like. I, I, this verse here, to me, just shows the grace of God. I, I see the grace of God in this powerfully. And if he be not able to bring a lamb, in other words, if he doesn't have the wherewithal to bring the lamb, God's still going to provide for him so that there is a covering for his sin. If he's not, he's not be, um be not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring for his trespass, uh, which he hath committed, two turtle doves or two young pigeons unto the Lord, uh, the one for sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. So so that that is something that even the poor could get. So he's not excluding them because of their uh, status in society, so to speak. And uh, in 1 Corinthians, it says, what do you have that you have not received? So God, you know, he, he provides the offering. He gives them what they need so that now they can take that and give that to the Lord. It, it's like when the Spirit of God is moving and he's dealing with you in your heart. And, and you look to God and you know you're concentrating upon him maybe in a church service and 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 you lift up your hands unto him and with the hand lifted up and the hand open the lord can take out of the hand the offering he desires and also can give you what he wants put it back in your hand So God's always there providing for his people the offering that is needed for them. Now, the essence, turn to Leviticus 17. The essence or the substance for the sacrifice is the blood. Leviticus 17, verse 11. Somebody read that. Then I'm going to read it from the NIV. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Okay, NIV says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement. I love that. The Lord says, I have given it to you. I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So the blood in the animal contained the life. The blood in your body contains the life. Do you understand that? See, you have veins, veins. Are arteries, veins, and capillaries that take the blood supply throughout your entire body. I remember, you know, years ago. I don't know how they figure this stuff out, but they, they um, somehow measured all the the network in the body and laid it out. It would be like miles and miles long. That's how extensive the 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 capillary system is in the entire body, goes to every part of the tissue. Now, if you don't believe that, take a string and tie it around your finger real tight and cut off the blood flow to your little finger and then see what happens. What's going to happen? It's going to turn blue and eventually gangrene or whatever, it's eventually going to die because the life in your body is in the blood. The life in the animal is in the blood. And so whenever they went and slit the throat of the animal and the blood came out, the life ceased because the life in the animal was in the blood. Um, Now, life, as I said before, must be shed for life. Now, uh, that's dealing with atonement, all that we covered so far. And I just want to um, just look at a couple more things. I thought I had it on here. Oh, okay, it is. That's the sacrifice. Okay, then you had the the priestly uh, intercession, now, the priest would intercede for the people, or for themselves also. But what occurred in, in the first five chapters, you have five offerings. In chapter six, chapter seven was the law of offerings. The law of offerings dealt with instructions to the priest on what to do with each sacrifice. you know, how to, to handle it. What, where to take it, what to do with it, you know, all of that. And, of course, that's, that's intermixed also in the first five chapters. But the priest had to make intercession for the people. Now, they had the purification laws, that they, they had to go through certain purification themselves, and they had to be consecrated in order to make proper intercession for the people, which really speaks to me. Maybe you're, you get what I'm saying. Consecration is necessary for intercession. So Jesus lived a consecrated life, and that was what made it able, him able to intercede and die on the cross and shed his blood for you, That made that whole thing work. He was was consecrated. And of course, the Bible does say that you are kings and priests, does it not? What does that mean? Well, that means that you, in order for you to intercede for others, in whatever way that may be, that you have to live a consecrated life. You have to walk the correct way, or there will be no intercession. See, there's all these typologies moving here. The next were the purification laws. Now, I've looked into some of these, (coughs) and we're going to to study uh, some of it uh, later on, but (coughs) they cover the the entire realm of living. Uh, Pure food, pure bodies, Pure dwelling places, pure faith in God for the blood of the animal to cover, and so on and so forth. Uh, so, so, without um, this word, this word's without blemish, you'll see this in Leviticus. I think it's used, let me see, do I have it in here? Yes, it's used 18 times in Leviticus, and, and, and the, the, the sacrifices that they brought were not to be diseased or blemished in any way. They had to be without blemish, just like the Lord Jesus Christ was without blemish. So atonement could not take place without uh, purification. So, so the Lord lays out these purification laws, dealing uh, with, with every area of living for the priests and for the people. It wasn't just, okay, the, the priest... He follows these purification laws, but I can live the way I want because I'll just go to the priest and he'll make intercession. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not working that way. The individual had a responsibility also for the the purification, to move in these purification laws that are set forth. So, So they had to do their part. Then the priest had to go through the purification laws and do, the, do these different things related to his life and according to the way that God laid out. And then, and only then, for example, the, the uh, annual Day of Atonement, the uh, high priest had to purify himself and wash himself and put clothes on, all these different things, so that he could go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the nation. And you know this, and we're going to probably talk about this later, but if he did not do this right, he was a dead man, struck dead right in the Holy of Holies. And um, he had little bells on his garment, so when he moved, if they were outside, they could hear the bells. And I've heard this, and and I I can't verify this in Scripture, but... um, some research I've done, it says that they used to tie a rope around the high priest's leg. So he would go in there, and when they'd hear the bells, they know that everything was going okay, that he was, you know, went through the proper purification himself, so that whenever he made atonement on the mercy seat, that it was, everything was right before God. If he didn't do it right, you might hear a pre-ching. He would he'd be dead. You just can't go in there and pull him out because anybody that went in the Holy Holies would be, would be killed. So they'd pull him out with a rope. Holy living. Holy living. The whole second part of the book of Leviticus talks about holiness. Not just for the priest, but for the people. All the way down the line. The, the, the sacrifice had to be without blemish. The people had to be purified. They had to live holy. They they had to have this correct approach to God, or they were in trouble. Then the priest had to be purified. And all these things moved up toward the annual Day day of Atonement where the, the priest would go in, the high priest would go in, and he would make this sacrifice that would cover the sins of the nation. Now, God is so gracious. We have maybe 25 people here today. How many sins do we commit in a year's time? No, please don't raise your hand and tell me. <laughs> now, think about this. They say there was anywhere from a million to two million Jews that came out of ex- in the Exodus. And so you have quite a, quite a few people, and you have these people who, you know, sin. In a year's time, you could have quite an accumulation, so to speak. But see, God, he's gracious. It doesn't matter the amount. He's going to cover them. He's going to make the provision to cover our sin, speaking of them, just as he made the provision for you and I through Christ to take it upon himself and carry it away. In 1 John, it talks about if you sin, you need to come to God. and He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So all this stuff works together. Um, Leviticus, as I see it, is just integrated so much in the New Testament. It's quoted many times, especially in Hebrews, and, and sometimes we're not even aware of it. And so you had this annual day of atonement. That's the last one. Now, this approach to God is seen in the instructions for the offering. It's seen in the instructions to the people. It is seen in the instructions uh, to the priests. And it's, it's seen in the instructions to, to build the altar and, and the sacrifice. It's seen throughout the whole thing. That is a setup, so to speak, for us or for the people to approach God. That's why he went to all the trouble to set these things up. Um, the second part... We're not going to have uh, time to look at. The second part uh, deals with the holiness. And then there were four uh, areas involved in the holiness. One is the the life. They had to believe that the life was in the blood. And and I mentioned that a little bit ago. They had to uphold the standard. So when you go to Leviticus chapter 1, Verse 2. Let's let's just read this real quick. Verse 1 and 2. And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them. So right there he is setting the standard. Telling Moses, you go and you say unto them them. This is what you need to do. You need to bring the burnt offering. You need to bring the trespass offering. You need to bring a sin offering, the peace offering. Whatever it is, he's setting up the standard. This is how you need to uh, bring your sacrifices. This is the type of animal you need to bring. The animal is not to be spotted. See, all these different things are the standard that God set forth in his word to them. And for them to be holy they had to move along with the standard or they had to to obey the standard that God was setting up for them, just as he sets a standard today for you. If you want to be right with God, you want to stay right with God, you need to walk in his will for your life personally. See, that's the standard. Uh, That is upholding. As you do that, and you do what you know God has called you to do, what, what he has shown and laid forth for you, then you personally uphold the standard, just like they did through obeying the different instructions for the offering. And then you have um, worship. There is no true worship without a pure heart, without um, this holiness, so that here, here we are in church and, you know, we're singing songs and that. That does not mean that we are worshiping God. I personally believe that there are few churches in this country that move into worship on a continual basis. Very few. And there are very few Christians that move into worship. Do you know that? It's different. Praise is different. You can go to a church, and they can praise, and, and, I mean, I love to praise the Lord. It's it's great, okay? But but praise has the element of me in it. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for my salvation. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. See, it's always that in there somewhere, even if it's not said with the mouth. When you go into worship, that's a completely different place where you are not even in the picture. There's no thought of you. There's no thought of your salvation. There's no thought of anything related to you. It's only Him, Jesus, Jesus. It's just, it's a different place. It's a different place than praise. There is no possible way then. Or today, to move into true worship without first having a pure heart—that's the first thing I believe that needs to be there. I mean, you can call it pray, uh, worship, you can call it praise worship, you can call it worship. You, I mean, it doesn't mean that it is. And I'm taking what I'm saying. I'm taking out of Revelation. That's what, it is. That's what is taught in Revelation about praise and worship. so that it becomes extremely important, this holiness thing, for us to move into worship, there has to be some purity there in, in, in the life, in the heart. Because, because of the approach thing. Because of the approach to God. See, that has to be there. Now, you can, worship, you can, um, you can praise the Lord. That's something that we initiate but wor- worship is something that is initiated by the spirit of god where he comes and draws you into another area another realm have you ever have you ever been in a service and the spirit of god moved powerfully on you and you were totally oblivious to every single thing that was going on and even even like when you move into worship, there is no time. <laughs> you get in there and you can worship God for hours and you will think it's maybe 15 minutes. It's because it's a different area than praise. But many times our praise helps us to come to this place where, where the Spirit of God can draw us into worship. So, so this is an important thing. The next is obedience and consecration. You and I need to be obedient unto the Lord, or there is no holiness. I mean, the word, yeah, we can say holiness. We can say holy. But as far as my life personally, if I do not obey the Lord in whatever he has before me, if I'm not uh, active in... Doing or in being whatever I need to be in a situation or whatever, I am not really moving into this holiness, this aspect that God has in, in consecration. Let's look at one verse in Leviticus 19. Now this is this class, as I said, is just an introduction to the book. Uh, Leviticus nineteen, verse two. Okay. Somebody read that, please. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I will with your body and You shall be holy. For I, the Lord God, am holy. Now, when he uses the word speak here, that is in the command mood. In the Greek stem, it's an imperative mood, which is a command. In Peter, where is it? Um, In case you're writing, writing down. Peter 1, 15. Be ye holy, For I am holy, and Peter is quoting from this verse. And when Peter pens this, he's, of course, directed by the Spirit of God. And when it says, Be ye holy, um, what word would it be? Be. I think it's the word be. Whatever the the verb in that sentence is also in the New Testament is in the imperative mood, which means it's a command. So, the command from Leviticus and the command in the New Testament from Peter are, be ye holy as I am holy. Well, how are you and I going to be holy? The only way we are going to move into holiness is through submission to God. Submission to the way He is laid forth, submission to His Word, submission to what He is personally showing me. That will place me in this place where now I can move into this area of holiness and holy living. We are commanded to be holy. So that means that God must work in our life. See, sin must be dealt with, as it was here with the offerings. Sin was dealt with so that the people then, obedient to that and submission uh, to the way, the sacrifice they could begin to move in holiness and approach God. We are commanded to be holy, commanded in the Bible. It's not an option. If you're going to be a Christian, you need to go this direction. And God, as I said before, has laid it out for us. He has provided the sacrifice so that you and I can fulfill what he has commanded in being holy. Be ye holy as I am holy, God says. So it's not like he's, you know, sailing you down the river and saying, okay, you figure it out and you do it all. No, he provides the offering. We become submitted to that and... um, Obedient, and then the reality of that will begin, the holiness. So God is wonderful, God is graceful, so that whenever we sin, there is a provision for that. If we move out of the way, there is a provision for that. There are five offerings the trespass offering, and we'll get to this in another class, and the sin offering were required offerings for, for the sin of the people, for my sin, for your sin. The other offerings, um, the um, burnt offering, the, the meat or meal offering, and the peace offering were not uh, Uh, required offerings. They were voluntary offerings. The two were given when they were out of um, fellowship with God. The other three were given as a sweet savor offering when they were in communion with God. So there's a difference there. God provides for the whole spectrum because He's just wonderful. Provides for all that we need all we need to do is avail ourselves to him and go his way and approach him according to the way he has laid out. Okay, well, that's the introduction for Leviticus. Next week, we'll start with the burnt offering. Please be on time because I'm starting. <laughs> As I said before, anybody who wants to take the class for credit, that's open to that Requirement would be $30 for the class. Uh, re- you'd have to take the, uh, do the homework. And if you miss the class, you're required to listen to a CD and then let me know that you listened to it. Those are the, the requirements, yes. Read the first uh, seven chapters of Leviticus this week in two translations. And, uh, and those who are taking it for credit... Let me know. I want you to do an outline of each chapter, as we've done before. This is a good book to do it in, because there's a lot lot going on. Okay, thank you.